Hey everyone, you are listening to Tech Traction and we are your hosts Mrinalini and Pranav. Our guest of the day is Dr. Robert Heath, an American electrical engineer, researcher, educator and wireless technology expert. He is also a Cullen Trust endowed professor in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Heath received BS and MS degrees in electrical engineering from the University of Virginia in 1996 and 1997 respectively. He finished his PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford University in 2002. His early work at Stanford was pivotal in the advancement of the then nascent memo communication. His recent interests include several aspects of wireless communication and signal processing. He is currently the president and CEO of Memo Wireless Incorporated and the co-founder of Kyoto Signals Incorporated. Dr. Heath was the co-recipient of the Kyoto Miyazu Award in 2019. He is also the recipient of several awards for many papers that he co-authored. It gives the two of us immense pleasure to welcome you here with us. All right, thank you. It's great. It's great to be here. Um, and I have to say that my my biography is a little bit out of date. I, I actually just joined the North Carolina State University uh, three weeks ago, and probably not updated yet in most places. But um, you know, it, it. I was at UT Austin for. Uh, about 19 years, and it was a good time for a change. And I, I really um, believe that North Carolina has a lot of potential. They they have a number of great programs. They're well ranked, and in wireless, um, they've got a new aerial vehicle test bed, a lot of effort in circuits and signals. So I think it, it's going to be great, and I'm looking forward to bringing 6G to to NC State. Okay, great to hear. Yes. Uh, so without much further ado, we'll get started with the questions. Um, sure. So first up, um, can you tell us about five G, and how is it so much faster than four G? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so five G is the the next evolution of cellular communication systems. So about every ten years, they give um, cellular systems they're of a new brand, and so now it's five G. So it, it started out as four G, then it was um, 4G, let's see, LTE Advanced, there was Advanced Pro, there was a whole bunch of different names for the various revisions of the standard that came in between. And what what happened with 5G is they they did make a bit of a disruptive change in that the, the waveforms are not exactly backward compatible anymore with 4G. Um, but that in itself isn't the reason that that it gives much better performance. It's really About I mean, there's a couple of things. One is on the MIMO side, there's support for more antennas, more antenna ports. They they've also redesigned how the antennas, the the systems, how the antennas are used, so that the uh, the antennas and the ports are heavily decoupled. So you could have an array with a thousand antennas, and it will work more seamlessly in 5G than at 4G. And then the other aspect, from a physical layer, worth mentioning is the going to higher frequencies and broader bandwidths. So going to 28 gigahertz, 39, 41 at millimeter wave, you get access to to spectral channels that maybe are 100 megahertz, 500 megahertz wide, and so the data rates you can achieve are higher. So that that's the main you know, physical layer type innovations. There are other innovations at the network level, but it's these physical layer ones. I feel that. Are giving essentially a fatter data pipe, and that's why 5G can be perceived to be bigger, better than 4G. It's um, 
if you look at how 5G and 4G, if they're working in the same spectrum with the same sp resources power, I mean, they're, they're not, it's not hugely different. It's only when you take into account the other resources that, that 5G can have that you start to see the significant gains. Okay, Professor. And uh, do you think 5G will actually change the world or is it overhyped? Well, I, it's hard to argue it's not overhyped at this point. Um, it should be, you know, it's been been discussed for, geez, five years at least now. And and a lot of us academics are now talking about 6G for this reason. That will be overhyped soon too. Uh, yes. 5G, I think there are a number of features that just that may make it easier to deploy in, in different parts of the world. So I, I think there are some advantages to 5G. Um, and there's also disadvantages. And I mean, the, the complexity of the standard is extremely high and, and it's just harder for anybody but the usual incumbents really to make anything for the side of the system anymore, just because it has so many options. And options means you have to support all these different ways of configuring and, and that can be challenging. So I think, I think to me, that's the, that's the big drawback. It is much more complicated than, than 4G. Uh, but, I, but I think cellular in general with technologies like 4G, 5G and beyond it is changing the world. And you can see right now with um, COVID and so many people having to, to be at home and, and attend school or to work. And most people are realizing if you're accessing a wireless, it doesn't work well. You know, you, you, everyone in the family cannot be having a Zoom class at the same time. It just overwhelms the network. And so I think people are starting to realize the importance of, of wireless and cellular. So I think it's just, it's there at the right time. And this is gonna lead to more deployment of infrastructure. Uh, Cause there's a lot of people that they, you know, they don't want the infrastructure in their neighborhood and yet they want the cellular coverage. So I think there's things that are gonna change. And I think, you know, people are just realizing the importance of it. And, you know, the infrastructure will be built to meet that demand. And you had mentioned about the disadvantages of, you know, having infrastructure. So how do you think this can be, you know, dealt with in a densely populated country like India? Well, I think, um, you know, density is really good for cellular systems in the sense that, mm -hmm. you know, in principle, you have a lot of places to put base stations too. Um, you know, having been to India before, I think one of the challenges is at least a lot of the places I've been, the construction is often with concrete and um, radio waves don't penetrate yeah. very well. So I would say it's kind of the, the density plus the, these propagation challenges. And that makes it really difficult for, say, you to get a millimeter wave signal inside your house if there's like two foot of concrete. But on the other hand, there's um, other, other ways to use the resources. So for example, in, in 5G also supports um, what they call in-band backhaul. So a base station, instead of serving a user equipment like a phone, could be serving a device that's on the outside of a building, and then the signal is further routed inside the building. So it's like a relay. It's not, um, you can think about it as, as a base station, but it doesn't have any um, wired connection to the internet. So I think technologies like that are really interesting in, in India because you can have these, um, the, these relay type units or these base, these base stations connected via wireless in many places because you can still have some power. Now, 
there is of course also the challenge of the power itself not being uh, necessarily on all the time. And so that requires its own set of issues. You know, do you, maybe you back pack bigger backup batteries and, and, and I mean, I think that that's probably a, a bigger thing is just the, the power and making sure it, it's, it's there all the time, at least for the equipment. Okay. Yeah, indeed. Um, so by when do you think 5G would be accessible to everyone? And more importantly, what are the hurdles we need to overcome before this idea gets materialized? Yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder that too. I mean, when I turn my phone on, I, it says 5G, but I wonder if they really did anything to the network, you know? Mm. I mean, so, so yeah, maybe, maybe they just put 5 I mean, it, it says 5GE. I don't know what the E stands for. Maybe it's like almost 5G or Epsilon away from 5G. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the thing is, because 5G has so many different options, it's not really too hard for somebody to say that they have 5G because maybe, I mean, okay, so they've changed out part of the radio access network in one base station to support the new 5G waveform. And then it can switch back into 4G. So you can have the case where someone says, yeah, I've got 5G in Delhi. I mean, it, it covers one street, but then they just say that they have 5G. So. It, it's a little misleading. And so I think that the question is really is like, when are we going to get some of these more advanced features, in particular millimeter wave, when is that's not um, deployed widely at all right now? Um, and that's critical for the, which I think is important there. So that, you know, it, looking at probably two years um, till we see a lot of that. I mean, you're going to see where the existing like antennas and things remain the same and the DSP and the hardware, the RF has changed that, that can, that is happening already in different places in the world. So that there's, there is 5G around now, but this going to the other frequencies, uh, there's not so, I mean, it's not much, even in the U S there's very little real millimeter wave access spectrum that I know of. I, I know of, uh, places where they have it, but it's not available yet to consumers. It's like on a private. Uh, basis. Okay. So I think we're looking at basic 5G now and then millimeter wave probably two years out at this point. Okay. So Professor, you work with signal processing. So do you think it is possible to process signals from the brain in the form of brain waves? Do you think this will lead to theoretical mind reading as such? Yeah, well, that's a, yeah, it's a totally different question. Um, I mean, yeah, from, look, look, the, the brain is generating electrical signals. Yeah. And when we see things, you know, the signal's different. So in, in principle, there are ways to pick up those signals. I mean, people are, are working on that with, um, I don't know all the scientific names, but using sensors on the head, like I've seen these hats would cover with sensors. And then there's also in vivo where they drill holes in people's brains. That's more common with rats and not people. But so there are ways to listen to the signals. And I think that there's, there are approaches to put signals in, but that's much, much more in the future. I, I've seen this example with rats, but you know, people are not too excited about having signals pumped into their brain yet. Um, so, so yeah, so then you can say, well, if you can listen to the signals, maybe you can see what someone is thinking. And it seems like 
the, the problem is the way, the way the sensors are placed and everybody's brain, everybody works a bit differently. And so it may be possible to, to get um, some control from the brain through a process of training and learning. I think that's possible in the near term. I mean, I've read some articles where people claim to be able to generate some rough image of what someone's thinking, but I, I don't know how accurate that, that really is. So I think it's not maybe there, there's a scientific part, which is about getting enough SNR to pull the signals out, separating all the signals. I mean, so there's an array processing, signal processing piece. And then there's also just a neurobiology piece and understanding better how the brain works. And I'm not sure that we could use, let's say, machine learning to do this because the brain is so much more complicated than machine learning right now. So I'm not sure we can use this simple algorithm to process, but but I think I think it's a it's a great area for the future, and it's it will have impact in and everybody. I mean, it would be great like if we could uh, have this conversation without talking, or I could send an email without typing. I'll, and a lot of people need that because they're disabled, or uh, other or as a convenience, time saving, or something. Yes, indeed, professor. Well, I guess we have quite long way to go. <laughs> So the rise of wireless communication would uh, result in what one would say an increased exposure to electromagnetic radiations. And a lot of people are of the opinion that this could adversely affect their health. What's your take on this? Well, it, being exposed to radiation, electromagnetic radiation, I mean, it, it can certainly have an effect. So, uh, I, I mean, x-rays are a form of electromagnetic radiation, for example, and, the, and too many yeah. x-rays this is a problem. So it, it, in, it certainly in principle can have a problem, right? The, the question is, you know, what specific frequencies and bandwidths are we talking about? And, and of course, what is the power? So the, the 2.4 gigahertz band is a great example where um, that's where microwaves operate and they operate there because they excite the water molecules and things. And a lot of the food that we want to heat up has water in it. Now you put a person in a microwave, of course, you know, you can kill them. That's like a thousand Watts. I mean, that's much, much more than we ever use in cellular, right? So cellular, like your hand said, it, it could be transmitting 1 milliwatt. So I don't know, that's a million or a billion times less, but yeah, I mean, if your hand, if your handset was transmitting a uh, thousand Watts, Probably, well, it would burn up, but it would probably be bad. I mean, it, it's it's hard to say it wouldn't, but it's not clear how bad. <laughs> That's the problem. And, and there's a lot of work that goes into the design of the devices that we use on our body that to avoid radiation. So, for example, the, the phone may detect, okay, so I'm near the head. And so it'll turn off antennas that are facing into the head um, okay. to meet specific absorption or ratio requirements. So for, for the specific frequencies that are being used in cellular and 5G, I mean, for cellular in general, that's been around for a long time. So it, if it was causing problems, we would have evidence by now. The waveform for 5G isn't that much different than 4G. You know, changing the subcarrier spacing at OFDM is not going to cause cancer here and not over there. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Now you could say, and I've, I've had this question before, what about the millimeter waves? Um, but the way it's extra smaller, what about that? Um, and there's been less, you know, fewer studies at millimeter wave, but I will point out that it, in a lot of the frequency bands, say 60 gigahertz, for example, which where there's been a lot of measurements, um, 
the, the skin depth is very small. And, and so the amount of penetration of millimeter waves and those frequencies at least is really limited. Um, it doesn't go like versus a lower frequency, which can go entirely through the body and come out the other side. So I, that gives me some confidence that probably is not so bad, but you know, you, you do need a, a set of people to do studies on this and, you know, determine, okay, how, how much does it heat up? I, I don't know. I don't know how to, how, how to do more on this without, um, I mean, I guess the solution is you, you put a 5g network with a lot of power with a bunch of rats and see, see what happens over time. But, you know, it, it's going to be probably by the time they figure out if 5g has any health problems, we're probably going to be on 7g. So oh, yeah. it takes a long time. Yeah, it indeed does. Um, so you are the CEO of a company and co-founded another. How has this experience been? And uh, if you're given a choice between research and entrepreneurship, which would you choose? Yeah, interesting. Um, so the, you know, the, the CEO of MIMO Wireless, I mean, I, I have the maximum number of other employees I had was one. So it's not really a big company. It, it's primarily a, a consulting enterprise. And so I wouldn't say it's been taking too much time. I mean, it has been important for me to develop actually my research program because by working with companies, I've gotten, you know, being a professor, I mean, I'm just teaching. So working with companies has given me a much better understanding of practice than, than maybe some other faculty have. And so that's been really important. Um, and Kuma Signals was a, a proper startup. It was um, funded by several different uh, government agencies through grants. It wasn't funded by venture capital. And it, it at one point, I think, had seven employees. But um, it, at this point, is is going, going to be shut down. The One of the founders uh, left to become an attorney. And then the other one wanted to start a different company. So that left me. Um, so I, I think the entrepreneurship, it, it is um, is exciting. I mean, when I was working with Paul Raj at Stanford and I uh, joined his his company. We called it Gigabit Wireless at the time. And then it was called IOSPAN. Uh, I mean, it was it was a great experience, and I could see how you you learn so much being in that environment because you you don't sit in a silo. Like I was working in physical layer waveform stuff, and you know they needed somebody to do something with the Mac. I didn't know anything about the Mac, but sure, I'll go work on that. Or I, I did some other work with RF circuit. I mean, you just you just have to do it because someone has to do it. So that's really exciting part of the sort of being a, in, a, in a startup. And then I think, yeah, so that, that had a lot of, I mean, it had a lot of impact on the kind of work I do because I try to, to foster um, this culture a bit in my research groups. I want the students to take charge in, in their PhD and, and they should be operating a bit like a CEO. They, they should, you know, it's not, I, I don't want them to think that they're my employee. I want them to think that they're, you know, in charge of their own destiny. And of course I'm helping, but um, so I think that that overall experience is important. And I mean, personally, sure, I've, I've had the, the chance to start companies many times and, and I've just stayed in research. Um, I, I'm sure financially for retirement, it would have been much better if I started a company. Uh, I was just doing some retirement planning and realizing I got to work at least until 70. So, so but being a professor is, is a great job. So it's not, not too hard. Um, to imagine doing that, but I, I but I, I could see doing both, and and I think that you know if you have a really good idea, 
that could be commercialized, there's really no reason not to, to go the entrepreneurship route. And if you don't have an idea and you want to build up the tools, you know, it's better to, to do more research. And that's a way to, to uncover, to, to get into the science of problems. And, and what makes us different from the, the average person starting a company is, is our expertise. You know, so you, you cannot start a, a 5G company just out of high school. Don't have enough background probably can't even do it after a bachelor's degree. You really need an advanced degree. So I, I think that there's a trade-off. Now you could have an idea that just doesn't require that, right? Then you just go do it. And you can always switch back into research later, but the people that tend to start companies just tend to keep starting more and more. So not, not a bad thing, but it becomes an addiction, I think. Because it's so <laughs> exciting. Yeah. So light fidelity, light fidelity is one of the upcoming frontiers of communication. So what are your views on that? Yeah, it's been around for a while. It was actually a big topic even before millimeter wave. Uh, there, there's a really well-known TED talk. I'm, I'm, the speaker's name is escaping me, but you know, it, it's been in the popular view for, for many more years than, than the millimeter wave. And it has some similarities and, and some differences. I, I think that, so it goes to a higher frequency, the, you know, in the light versus um, lower RF, has potentially access to even higher bandwidths. So you can get higher data rates. Now, a lot of the things with Li-Fi, we're not demonstrating that yet. There's still, data rates are still low relative to what in principle they could be. I think it is the, the the ways that I've seen it proposed with, let's say, LEDs, LED arrays, where they coexist with just lighting sources. I mean, it, I think it's quite interesting. The only thing is you're really limited in terms of the link distance. So, okay. you know, think about if there's a streetlight outside, how far away you can still see the streetlight. It, it's, well, depending on the weather, it can be not very far. And yeah. so if you're getting your internet connection from that streetlight, you also don't get it very far. So there's a range challenge. And then there's also a practical challenge of, of just getting the data to the Li-Fi device. I mean, if you had, so, so how, how does that work? You know, I mean, maybe there's an RF, maybe there's something over the wire, but those are things I've always wondered about. I, I'm sure if you're building a new infrastructure, home, whatever, you, you could design it around the Li-Fi technology and, and it would be a great, great solution. And it also doesn't have the perception problems we talked about with the electromagnetic radiation because everyone's used to being, having lights indoors. So yes. I think that, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting area. I, I haven't looked at it probably for 15 years, but I might, might start looking at it again. Okay. So since uh, we use light over here, do you think we need to revamp the existing system and or to make way for Li-Fi in the future? Well, if you, I mean, if you want to get your Li-Fi from the lights, you know, you need to replace the light bulbs at least. But, but, but again, the question is like, how does the light bulb get the data to give to you via light? I mean, it has to come from somewhere. So... Is it coming on the power line or is it coming through? Do, do you have to run like a fiber optic cable with the power cable to every light switch? I, I'm not sure. I mean, you, but you need, you know, you need some way to get the data to the light. 
And without that solution, uh, you probably have to, to do more work on, on wiring things. And then it kind of begs the question, if you're running fiber every possible place, I mean, you know, why not just plug your computer into the wall uh, instead of to the, the wireless or the Li-Fi? I mean, I don't know. So I think that's, that's the question there, but I haven't looked at it in a while. So there may be something, they may have solved that problem. For, for all I know, but I, I can't imagine how without say millimeter wave or other wireless technology. It's hope it is, it is that way. So what do you think is the biggest uh, drawback of Li-Fi? Of um, Li-Fi? Yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the drawback I think is just about the range that it it's gonna be more limited. And then also, you know, what if you wanna, work in the dark, uh, then you don't have a connection. So th there is, I, I know you can use sort of different frequencies than visible light too, but there, there is kind of a connection there. And I'm not sure that's been completely solved. Um, just that, I mean, that in the range. So I don't know, like if I wanna look into my phone at night in the beds, well, I don't have the light on, so. Yeah, not sure, but I think that's that's the probably the, the yeah that and the range is the challenge. Okay, so do you think Li-Fi would gain some momentum in the future, or will Li-Fi just die down as time progresses? I, I think it will probably. It, I don't know if it will gain momentum in an exponential sense, but I, okay. I see that as people are looking at higher frequencies, looking at terahertz. I mean, it, you know, the visible light spectrum is. You know, it's not too far away, right? So it's a natural thing to think about going to visible light. But I think that there's other ways of using light that could also be uh, important. And I think um, so. Free space optics and looking at light as a source of backhaul link, um, which would I would not consider to be Li-Fi. I I think that's quite interesting. I mean, you can have an aerial platform that is serving a lot of users and it's back called via light and that that was been demonstrated i think it was by facebook a couple of years ago um and and lights could be used as a mesh to connect all of these uh access points on tops of the buildings and the houses so i think there's i think those things are also really interesting i think that's actually gaining momentum too okay um, and then li-fi i think will, will remain a, a topic of interest and you know may, maybe it will increase more at some point. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Professor, one of your areas of interest is wearable communication networks. So, can you shed some light on fabric area networks and uh, what are the merits and shortcomings of this piece of technology? Yeah, that's a good question. It's pretty specific, and I, I, I didn't have time to to think much about fabric uh, area networks. So I don't know too much about the fabric specific part of that I, I will comment on just general interest in, in wearable communication i mean the the kind of the, the vision that we've had is that instead of all the devices on our body all connecting to the base station they form their own network and connect to a hub which is likely the smartphone and then that smartphone connects to the base station and so by being connected um over this short range 
wearable network, then they can the power can last much longer because they're communicating over small links in, instead of meters or hundreds of meter kind of links. So I, I think there's some interest there. And then the some of the applications are um, in particular health and performance related, but I think the health ones are you know, in, in the forefront of everyone's minds right now. I mean, if we could, if we could track and detect COVID early, just by monitoring certain signs of the body, that that could be really incredible. And, and if people have the ability to understand better how their body's working, they can also, okay, you know, take, take action on it, um, which maybe is hard to do. So I, so I sort of, I like the wearable idea in particular for, for health, but you know, wearables could be virtual reality, augmented reality glasses. It could be, you know, other applications as well that, that don't have a health uh, component. So it will overall increase the efficiency and, you know, the information that we get as overall, you know, in the health sector at I, least. I think, yeah, I think in the health and this also works in, in performance and sporting. I mean, people who are healthy, uh, maybe they want to, to run a kilometer a bit faster. So by understanding their oxygen level and the heart rate, maybe they can figure out, okay, yeah, so here's where I need to push more. I, I don't know. I think though, I mean, I'm, I need to be more healthy. So I'm kind of thinking about this, but not in that point of, you know, being super healthy and being even more healthy. <laughs> but, but I think it's, it is a valid area too. Cause I mean, one of the things in, in COVID, I mean, with, with many of us just inside all the time, you know, health is just deteriorating like crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, at least for, for me. And so I, I think it's just um, the, 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 this in, and used in a way to incentivize somebody to, to take a physical activity. I think that could be um, important. And then the other thing is just the, this remote um, health and telemedicine, having wearable networks where that can be monitored remotely, I, I think also is, is incredible when there's a lot of in, infectious things going around. So that, that, for 5G, there was a whole health vertical, but it, it was kind of a joke because people were always talking about, well, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, 5G is gonna be so great, I can do remote surgery. And then anyone who works in wireless is like, well, I don't never want a surgeon operating on me over a wireless, it's just not reliable <laughs> enough. Um, but now you see that the option may be, because the surgeon does not want to get infected. So the option is that you get no surgery or you get surgery over wireless and you maintain this. So I, I think it's becoming more feasible. And the reason to do wireless, even in cases like that, just has to do with the, the extent of wires around. And you know, you, you could maybe set up a robotic surgical assistant in a place which is not, you know, maybe not a dedicated operating room. Now, I don't know how you solve sterilization, et cetera, but you know, so, so I think that that's something that, it, that the health piece of, of 5G and, and wearable networks being a big part of that is just something that wasn't really a big topic of, of development of 5G, but I think it is going to become in the future a big piece of 5G. It would indeed help all of us. Yeah, yeah it looks wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>